0: Good morning. It's good to see you all today. Hey, welcome to week one of prayer where we're going to talk about prayer. I've got a question for you. How is your prayer life? I mean, as a church leadership, we like to pause and stop, and we like to have conversations with God. Matter of fact, our elders lead us through seasons of prayer, times of prayer. We have a a monthly theme through prayer. Prayer is becoming more and more of an anthem and discipline for us as a church as we're depending on God more and more and growing in our walk with Him. So let me ask you, how is your prayer life? I think for many of us, when we talk about prayer, we're thinking about it like a diet, right? Uh, We love diets, don't we? Diets are what we do to get back to who we intended to be so that we can present ourselves better, right? Sweater weather is over, and so now it's time to get in that shape that you want to be that's less rounded and more fit, And so, prayer is one of those things as Christians, it's like, well, I haven't been that nice. Well, I've been stressed at work. Well, I should be a better person. And so, we pause and we say, we should pray more. I should get back to who I want to be so I can look more or present myself in a manner that is more like Jesus. But prayer is not a diet, it's a discipline. It's a habit that you make a part of your life that reflects the very character of who you are called to be. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to John chapter 17. And for the next two weeks, following this week, the next two weeks, we are going to unpack the power of prayer, or the purpose of prayer. But today, I just want to spend some time talking about the person of prayer that we should be like, which is Jesus. Jesus. When we think about prayer, I I think about two years ago when specifically uh, my prayer life was a struggle. I was in a season where I was not praying well about my day-to-day. I was not depending on God. I was finding myself manning up to the moment trying to produce a life that was of my own work and my own effort. And a good friend of mine, Uh, Pastor Ricky Spindler from Stone Creek had invited me to come over to his church for a little bit. And we had a worship night together, and he invited many of the pastors that were there to meet him uh, into uh, kind of a hall area. And he gave us all not only some snacks and some coffee, but he said, I have a book for you. And so he he gave this book out uh, by Pete Gregg called How to Pray to Pastors which I thought was ironic because it's like, well, why would we need a book called How to Pray? It's for normal people, people who are wanting to just simply begin to pray. And I thought, wow, this could be really God's timing in my life right now. And so I opened that book up and I began to read through it and just kind of threw out everything I knew on prayer and just kind of threw out all the habits and some of the good and some of the bad. And I just said, I'm, I'm going to read through this. And And I'm one of those guys that I tend to skim a lot of books and kind of throw it on a shelf. I get the main idea, and then I'm done with it. But I promised myself I was going to read this book from beginning to end. And I did. Woo! And it began to recenter me on some thoughts about prayer. And I wanted to share a couple of the quotes that are just in the opening pages of this book. When Pete describes prayer, he says this, Our English word for prayer derives from the Latin precarious. We pray because life is precarious. He quotes uh, the Canadian psychologist David G. Benner, and he describes prayer as the soul's native language, observing that our natural posture is attentive openness to the divine. I like that. Abraham Lincoln admitted, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction That I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom seemed insufficient for that day. My favorite quote is from David Grohl of the Foo Fighters. He talked about the prayer that he had for his drummer, uh, Taylor Hawkins, when he had overdosed at a festival in England, and he said these words. I would talk to God out loud as I was walking. I'm not a religious person, but I was out of my mind. I was so frightened heartbroken and confused. (laughs) No matter where we are in our walk today, many of us will at least throw up a prayer to God hoping that he does something for us. But the challenge for this series is not going to be how to make God our genie, you know, rub the lamp and get your three wishes, but how to lean into God and allow God to have his way in our lives. And that may be part of the tension of what we feel today when we talk about prayer is most of us want a genie not an opportunity to grow before God. John chapter 17 is actually one of these passages that many of us will jump to and we'll try and jump to the end of the chapter because that's where Jesus is really doing his hard work that impacts disciples uh, from his moment on earth to the disciples that impacted the earth to now us. But at the beginning of John chapter 17, uh, Jesus begins to speak into the disciples' lives. And what had happened just in John chapter 16 is Jesus gave this rousing speech, a great bit of encouragement. Hey, people, life is hard. You're going to find difficulty. But take courage, because I have overcome the world. And then John chapter 17 opens like this. Jesus said this. He looked towards heaven, and he prayed. Father, speaking to God, Father, the hour has come I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to, the, to you, to, I have revealed you to those whom have, you have gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. This is a passage that doesn't seem uh, overtly understandable for most of us. What is Jesus kind of talking about in this moment? What is Jesus even doing? This this doesn't seem like a prayer that I know how to pray. I mean, this doesn't seem like something that I would understand how to approach God. And so I just said, time out for a second. We'll unpack the passage in a moment. But let's just think about what this is that Jesus is talking about. Because he's saying, the hour has come. Jesus is referencing the very purpose and nature of his life. To come and die, to give his life as the sacrifice for our sins. To provide life everlasting for those who would believe in him. So Jesus is saying, hey, now's time. It's game time. Everything up to this point is about where we are in this final stretch. And we are about to fulfill the very purpose by which you sent me. So maybe there's a couple questions you want to ask as you look at this passage. And we jump into prayer. Maybe it's a little bit kludgy. It's hard to get a hold of. And so let me ask this question for you. Why is it that Jesus prays? I mean, clearly what Jesus is pointing to is that he and God are one. They are one in the same. That God is fully divine. So is Jesus. Jesus is fully man. Jesus is the very representation of God on earth. So why in the world does Jesus have to pray? Jesus is demonstrating for us the dependency that we should all have on God. Jesus is modeling the very dependency that we should have in our lives. He's introducing and engaging the intimacy, the relationship that we should have with God. This is how humanity was created, to walk closely with God, to be in relationship with God, to understand the purpose of our lives and the place of our lives that God is working in us and through us and we are working with God. But it's also... It's also this moment to see hearts changed. To see God work in the very heart of Jesus and the people around him. And Jesus models this intimate relationship between God and the Son, and it's a mutual tra- mutually transformable relationship, meaning they're, they're both interacting in this experience, understanding, living out the will of God and the world of God. Jesus takes a posture of humility before God and in front of the people around him. God has clearly given him authority. God has clearly given him the keys to do as he pleases. God has clearly asked him to live fully in this moment. And he, with knees bent and hand extended, is saying, God, use me. The very posture that we should have. And Jesus often prioritized prayer we see it in his rhythm and his pattern. Uh, John, Luke chapter 6 talks about even how, how Jesus would uh, take time to go away to the mountainside and pray even when he's determining things like his disciples, his closest followers, how he's going to take next steps. So maybe the second question is this. What is it most people think about? What is it most people think prayer is for? Oftentimes, we think of it as bookends, you know, say it here, say it there, so that everything in between works out. Maybe it's a fire hose to spray and something gets bad. But prayer should be the foundation of our joy-filled life. It should be the ongoing conversation and rhythm with God that we have in our everyday living. But transparently, most of us approach God with a, a please do this, God, list, right? God, please keep me healthy. God, please keep these people safe. God, please get this person healthy. God, please let this happen in my life. God, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God, please. And everything that Aaron said, our location pastor said, is true. God wants every portion of our hearts, desires every simple and large request. God desires even more than that. God desires more than just our requests. God desires that he would work in our lives. I love what Richard Foster says. He's a, a, a longtime uh, teacher about spiritual disciplines and specifically prayer. Because prayer changes us more than it changes God, if we are honest. Here's what he says. None of us will keep up a life of prayer unless we are prepared to change. None of us will keep up a life of prayer unless we are prepared to change. Are are we in a posture of where we are ready to say, okay, God, here's my request, here's my concerns, here's here's what's on my heart. God, have your way in me. Because let's be honest. If prayer is not about changing our hearts and prayer is only about our requests, then if we take an approach to prayer that, God, please do this, God, please do this, God, please do this, God, please do this, this. this. and we are only a requester and a demander of God's action in our lives, the question becomes, who's really God? Is it yours to determine what God should do and how God should act and how God should make? Or is God the one that determines what's best for our growth, for our journey, and our walk? Here's what we'd like to say. Prayer is having God's ear so that he may have our hearts. Prayer is about having God's ear so that God may have our hearts. This is the part of prayer that I think many of us kind of jump over. We're so busy talking at God, talking to God, trying to bring through that. We we rush through life just trying to get all of our requests in front of her. But I I like how Eugene Peterson talks about this in his book, Working Angles. He says, prayer is never the first word. It is always the second word. God has the first word. Prayer is answering speech. It's not... Uh, primarily an address and response, meaning we don't always get to go up and just ring God's doorbell and say, hey, God, do this, God, do this, God, do this. No, God is speaking into the world. God is at work within our world. God is already active in our world, and we are getting the privilege to join him in this world. So how should we ever do anything but just say, God, show me where you're moving. Let me join you in that. And when we hit an obstacle, when we hit a crossroads, maybe we say, okay, God, I acknowledge you're already here. You're already at work. God, then why am I struggling? God, why am I hitting my head against this wall? God, why am I so anxious? God, what is it that's not happening here that I need to see, God? God, use me. God, change me. If you look at your passage quickly, let's go back to it for a moment. Let's look at these verses. I mean, we look back at this passage, we see Jesus setting this clear example of our dependency on God, the need for intimacy with God, and to to see a heart change in the world around him. Verse 1, we see Jesus acknowledge the very moment. Jesus is recognizing that the time has come. This is what his life was for. Verse 2, he embraces his role, his part in all of this. God, you've given me authority over sin, over death, And he recognizes that God is drawing people to him. Verse 3, he establishes his purpose. Now this is what eternal life is about. That's what he's saying. To know God, to be loved by God, to be valued by God through Jesus. Verses 4 and 5, he's completing his role, his job on this earth. Jesus was both faithful and fruitful to the life that he was called to. It pointed everything of his life back to God. He was sinless. He was blameless. But there was no mistake that Jesus' life for that moment was to be the sacrifice for all of humanity so that God may be praised. And verses 6 through 8, he releases control. Got all these people that you have given to me, All this work that you've done in my life, God, may it now begin to ripple into eternity. May it begin to transform every life, every relationship that's within ear's reach of this. And as we hear and they understand, would they continue to share this good news? Truth be known, this portion of the chapter oftentimes gets overlooked. It's easy to preach the momentum out of John chapter 16. Life is hard, but I have overcome the world. It's easy to jump to the end of the passage where Jesus says, we should be unified, we should be one. But the very need of reading John chapter 17 verse 1 is to say, will we pray like Jesus prays? Will we be the people of God like Jesus? Will we depend fully on God, intimately intimately know God, and have a relationship that responds to God for the benefit of others? Or will we just keep our lists at the forefront of our mind? Will we allow God to have his way in us? For Jesus' prayer was about modeling all of this, the dependency, the intimacy, and seeing lives changed. It was the very source and pattern of his life. I like to roll into this actual series where you see, the, you see this idea of a water faucet, right? You know, many of us, when we go to, a, go to our water faucet, we don't, uh, don't kind of hope that it's going to turn on, right? Maybe you're cooking in the kitchen, and you get something on your hands, and you go over there, and you hit that switch. You anticipate, you expect that water's going to show up, Right? because the water the source of water is always there it's there and the water is there for us with this flip of the handle so that we can we can begin to be be cleansed to be cleaned and it's so much like what prayer is like is that it's we go before god anticipating just pausing in prayer flipping the switch that God will begin to work in us through his spirit, that his power is ever constant at work in our lives, ever available. But every time we flip that switch, we want to grab a a cup of water, we anticipate that that water will be refreshing. It'll be nourishing. And prayer is like that too. That to know that the source of God is always there to cleanse us, purify us, refresh us, Restore us? That's what Jesus is modeling. The challenge is do you open the valve? Do you ever allow God to rehydrate you, to restore you? Do you allow God to wash through your life? So let me ask you how is your prayer life? Some of you may be sitting in this moment going, hey, 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 I I don't have much of a prayer life. I'll I'll just be honest with you. Prayer is kind of awkward to me. I'm not really sure how to do it. I'm I'm really uncomfortable. I'm not even sure if I believe in God. It's okay. This is a great place for you to journey through prayer. We are people that you can ask questions of. You can stumble through your prayer life. I, I stumble through my prayer life at times. As some of you may be sitting here going, you know, I, I, the truth of the matter is, I, I am that person. I, I pray for the things I need. I, I pray for peace. I, I, I pray for safety. It's a great starting point. I don't mean to belittle it. But is there more to our walk with God? And some of us, frankly, are really uncomfortable with prayer. Some of us who have been Christ followers for a long time We're uncomfortable with prayer because maybe we got an answer in prayer or had a response in prayer that deeply wounded us. And we're concerned about stepping back in to being vulnerable before God. To allow God to take us through a hardship. To transform us through a fire. But can I tell you that I believe if you were to talk to the people that experienced John chapter 17, this prayer life of Jesus, a disciple who followed closely after Jesus, if you asked them that question, how is your prayer life? I believe they'd respond either one of two ways. It's good or it's bad. Because they would have walked so closely with Jesus, they would have recognized there's really only one thing. I'm either leveraging my faith fully into the dependency of God or I'm not. I'm I'm either fully surrendering my life before God or I'm tweaking bits, trying to do a little bit of what God wants, but I'm really fearful of diving all the way in and saying, okay, God, have your way with me. And so when Jesus, being fully man, fully God, fully divine, standing before his followers, exudes this dependency on his heavenly father and an intimate close walk like there was in the early garden with with Adam and Eve. And then we see it impact his life and then transform people around him. We may kind of pump the brakes and say, God, 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 wait, wait, not, not me. I'm not ready for that. And let me encourage you to dive in. The disciples literally struggled with their own prayer life. We know that because Scripture records that of all the things they could have asked for, like I would have asked, hey, Jesus, how do you pull a rabbit out of your hat? I mean, you feed 5,000 people, you raise people from the dead. I want to learn that trick. But the disciples that were closest to him, the question that they asked is, How do we pray? I think there was probably a link that those who walk closely closely with Jesus recognized that his prayer life was so distinct and so different from others that they recognized it was only by the power of God that his life fully functioned. That the life full and everlasting happens when we're fully surrendered in prayer. So Jesus said these words, and I want you to repeat them after me. I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer in just a moment. These may be common words to you, but I want you to see for a moment just how Jesus describes prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting in the second part of verse 9, and read this out loud with me. Here's what it says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some, some later manuscripts have in there, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I love what Jesus does here. Because what we miss when everybody's trying to come up with a, an acronym or a solution of how to pray like Jesus, they miss the dependency and the relationship. Do you recognize that when Jesus models prayer, Jesus speaks of a relationship for all of us? Jesus starts with our Father, not my dad. Our Father. Do you realize that you share the same Heavenly Father as Jesus? Give us our daily bread. Jesus is speaking about our dependency on God, our Father, the provision of our lives. Forgive us as we forgive. Jesus is reminding us of our dependency for forgiveness from God. And reminding of us of his work through forgiveness. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us. Jesus, being tempted in every way like us, longed for deliverance of the struggle of this world. Many of us have heard this passage taught, and sometimes we try and come up with our lucky rabbit's foot to kind of figure out how to get God to do what we want. And what we have to realize is that God is calling us all to depend on him the way Jesus relied on him. So let me ask you this question. Do we depend on God for what we ask? Or are we simply dependent on God in what we ask? There's a significant difference. If I'm the kind of follower of Jesus that says, okay, God, this is what I want. Here's my line. You need to cross this. You need to make sure you dot this I, you cross this T. And God, if you don't, I'm out. Or are we the kind of people that say, okay, God, we recognize that you're at work. God, here's here's what I'd like to ask. So, what do you want me to do? Or more importantly, who do you want me to be? It's a challenge for us to approach prayer with an openness towards God. But here's what I understand out of this application today is that prayer is revealing what's on our hearts and hearing what's on God's. Prayer opens before us what's really on our hearts and allows us to hear what's on God's. That means that sometimes when our motives aren't pure, sometimes when we want something that's not best for us, sometimes when we're forcing something to be for our benefit and our behalf, we are humble enough before God to say, God, I may have this wrong. I might. Let me know. God, God, have your way with me. God, there's nothing I desire more than for you to have glory from my life. We could learn a lot from the early disciples. They kind of have a prayer first mentality, don't they? Prayer first. I mean, when I read through scriptures, I see things like Acts 2.42, where the disciples, they devoted themselves to prayer. When I read in Colossians chapter 4, I see early disciples who said, pray for open opportunities, pray that God may open doors, pray that God may work in our lives. When I read out of Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, I I hear this call that we should pray continually. It should be a regular rhythm, an ongoing conversation with God that never stops. 1 Peter 5, I'm encouraged to cast all my anxieties on God because he cares for me, and and James chapter 4 calls me to submit my life to God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from us. Come near to God, and God will come near to us. We started today uh, with some announcements, and one of them we did. We we pressed heavily into this idea of of prayer. We want to be a pray-first community. We've given you an invitation to be a part of what we call a mid-sized group. And whether you are uh, fervent in your prayer or whether you're beginning to learn how to pray, whether you're trying to get handles on how to pray, I want to encourage you to join us. Join us for our mid sized group in Urbana. If you've not been to that location, it'd be a great chance for you to see what God's doing and how God's multiplying in our ministry and expanding and extending our influence into the community. But there's going to be a group of people there that are just going to kind of say, "God, God, teach me to pray. And our leaders, our pastors are going to help people understand on June 16th and 23rd how we can pray, how we can grow in our prayer life. The truth of the matter is we all need to pray and we all need to grow in our prayer life. What would it look like if we did that together? Last week I, I, uh, I took some time to kind of go to the mountain and pray. You know, sometimes people say spiritual stuff like that. So I left the Flatlands and I went to Denver, Colorado. Took some time to drop my kid off. He, uh, my 19-year-old actually took a job out there for a little bit, so he's working there and had a chance just to say goodbye and watch him drive off with a whole new crew. And went north up to Loveland and prepared to see my dad, who lives in Fort Collins. And took a few days just to pause and just say, okay, God, let's, um, let's talk for a little bit. On Thursday, I had the privilege to drive up to Estes Park. There's not a there's not a sad view in that entire way. It's beautiful. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the Midwest. I love all four seasons. I can't breathe when I walk in the mountains, but that's a sermon for another time, okay? Uh, but in that moment, with windows down and the music blaring, I'm just, my mind's being cleared. I'm just thinking about about our church, about our family, just about all that God has done. And I was... Letting some things process through COVID has been—it's been a challenge, and my emotions have been all over the place. My my true north has sometimes chased myself more than it's chased God. And I was doing some research in that week because I was uh I was going to teach a lesson uh, at my dad's church. I got a chance to go and teach this little Bible study of senior saints that he has. And in my research, I came across a prayer that really impacted me. It's actually a a song. Most of us know this as a praise chorus from a few years back called, Lord, I Need You. It was written in 2011. But it says this, Lord, I come, and I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one That guides my heart. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus. You're my hope and stay. Let me ask you, how's your prayer life? Let's move to a time of response. That trip to Colorado was freeing for me. And I just want to encourage you to take out your app and take a moment. And if there's a next step that you need to take in prayer or in your journey to do it now, whether it's through a mid-sized group, whether it's to talk with somebody about prayer, meet with the pastor and do it now. But it's our prayer to pause right now like Jesus did with his closest disciples. And Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for all of humanity. And before he did that, he gathered his disciples together and he took these emblems, some bread and some wine. It was customary of their Passover meal. And he took it to declare a new reckoning through his life that the deliverance that the Israelites experienced in Egypt was now going to be the deliverance for all of humanity through his life and so he said this bread it is my body broken for you take and eat and they did in the same way he took the wine he said this is my blood poured out for you take and drink, and they did. This was a new covenant, a new partnership provided by God that our sins would be forgiven and everlasting life would be ours. Last of all, I want to ask you to take an opportunity to give even through our finances. The prayer of God, have your way in us extends well beyond just our time or even our talents, but also our treasure. So I would encourage you to use the app or the Give and Respond boxes. But in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to continue to worship. And if you need to pause to pray, to sit and reflect, do so. But may our prayer be this. God, have your way in us. Let's stand and let's respond.